அலமதுல்லாஹிஃபாஸ்லாம் முஹாஜின்ஜி So just to get a very brief background of who we are discussing before actually discussing his life itself. In our context in South Africa, if you go back about maybe 40 years back, then Tasawwuf, Islah, Tazkiyah, this was very confined, very few people We are familiar with what this is all about. Those ulama-i-kiram who went to India, Pakistan, studied and came back. So those who were closely associated with them. So some of them had some idea of what this is all about. Some had gone into the company of the Mashayikh at that time. So up to around that time, it was very, very confined. And as we... understand it now that the aspect of bay'ad the aspect of islah tazkiyah the importance of making our islah that that level of general understanding that has come to this in this time that we are in it was not anywhere close to this on a general level there were those people who were associated with generally the mashayikh at that time whose links had been developed one was fayyad the khulafa was at mashaf ali thanwi rahmatullah ali and in particular hazrat maulana masihullah khan sahab rahmatullah ali hazrat maulana abrarul haq sahab rahmatullah ali hardoi so there were people who were associated with them here in south africa and then the khulafa was the sheikh al hadith maulana zakaria sahab rahmatullah ali and some of the khulafa of hazrat maulana madni rahmatullah alay who were mainly in the johannesburg area and so on but this was roughly generally the situation then subsequently allah taala's fazl on south africa that the akabir continued coming and then came the time of hazrat maulana shah mohammad akhtar sahab rahmatullah alay and this at the same time hazrat hadi farooq sahab rahmatullah alay and there was a general like as if this what had been there got ignited and a general uh, enthusiasm came alive that we need to do something we need to become more conscious of our islah and tazkiyah we need to rectify ourselves that there is more to it than what we understand that there is a lot to do in terms of our inner rectification so this is generally the silsilas of the chains that have now reached us via these mashayikh so now we are generally familiar with the ulama and the mashayikh who have been in our recent times those who came from overseas hazrat shaqi mahsoud sahab rahmatullah alai hazrat hadi farooq sahab rahmatullah alai few others but all these silsilas if we trace it back upwards then the common factor at the top is haji indadullah mahajir makki rahmatullah alai whether it is the silsila of hazrat mashaf ali thanwi rahmatullah alai comes back to him whether the silsila of hazrat mashaf hazrat sheikh ul hadith mashaf zakaria sahab rahmatullah alai it goes back there whether hazrat mashaf madni rahmatullah alai it traces back up to haji indadullah mahajir makki rahmatullah alai so 
we are talking about in terms of our understanding so in terms of South Africa as we call it, look at it and this is not just South Africa in fact in our recent history we look at the silsilas of the Sawuf all over the place generally we'll find we're talking about that personality who has been the grandfather of the Sawuf so we are talking about somebody of a very very high caliber somebody of a very great position and status and whose fares and benefit had gone far and wide and is still flowing. <coughs> Obviously in the time that we have there's very little that can be really said neither is the object to try and discuss some kind of comprehensive biography it is just going to be just touching here and there on certain things one is mere discussion of these great personalities Hazrat Mullah Qari Rahmatullahi he his statement is in the zikr salihin tanzilur rahma this is deduced from various things that the mere mention of the pious personalities this becomes an occasion of the descending of the rahmat of Allah and therefore this is something to always be doing to be reading about their lives all the way right from obviously the seerat of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam the lives of the sahaba ikram and then all the pious personalities of every era to be reading about their lives reading about their akhlaq reading about how they conducted themselves in various aspects of life this is something that has a very deep impact on the heart if it's read sincerely read with true talab has a very deep impact on the heart. One is to just read it for the sake of entertainment, but for the sake of taking something from it, for the sake of improving our lives, to learn from their lives and take something and improve it in our, improve in our lives. With that near, this has a very deep impact on the heart. So nevertheless, coming to the great personality of Sheikh Al-Arab Al-Ajam, Hadim Dadullah Muhajir Makki, Rahmatullah he was born in 1233, and passed away in 1317, so 1814 to 1896. So just over two centuries ago, it was 84 years as far as the Islamic calendar is he spread, or that benefit that spread from him, all the various works of deen that are alive today, and that are means of people's benefit, will trace it all back to his benefit and fears. Whether it is the work of Dawat and Tabligh, as we discussed, Hazrat Mawah Shaykh, and it goes all the way, Hazrat Mawah Ijaz, through Hazrat Mawah Khalil Ahmad Saharam Puri, back to Hazrat Hadim whether it is Darlum Deoban and the Ulama of Deoban, whether it is this path of Islam and Tasawwuf, again we'll find all these works of deen that have become the means of millions of people's lives changing for the better throughout the world. We'll find this tracing back to Hazrat Hadim Dadullah Muhajir Makir. So in those two centuries, there's so much that has come through via this personality. He was born in a place called Nanota in India, and he was approximately three years old when a very great personality at that time, Sayyid Ahmad Shaheed Rahmatullah person of very high position and caliber, his biography is something to be read. This too is included in the monumental work of Hazrat Mawlana Abu Hassan Ali Nadwi Rahmatullah Ali, Mawlana the kitab in Urdu is Tariq Da'wat wa Azimat and the English translation of that is available also, Saviors of the Islamic Spirit, in that he has this biography of Sayyid Ahmad Shahid Rahmatullahi as well. And it's really something worth reading. There's a lot to take from there, a lot of inspiration to take from it. What a kind of personality this was. His fervor for being, when there was a time when even the many ulama of India and so on had given a fatwa that Hajj is no more compulsory because there is no more security of passage. Because there were the uh, people going by ship at that time and the piracy that was happening on the seas 
and almost every other time some ship would be hijacked by the pirates. So some ulama also gave this fatwa that now because of this insecurity of this level, Hajj is not compulsory. He said there's no such thing, Hajj is compulsory. And he, after a lull of so many years, nobody went for Hajj. He said, I am going for Hajj. And he got, he made the skill of people to join him for Hajj. And took several boatloads of people, whole shipload of people. And went and made the Hajj and came back and ever since Hajj continued. So this is just one aspect of his life, just passing on that. This was the personality that had come around. And at that time, was only three years old. So, he had passed through their town, hometown, and this little child of three years old was brought into the company of Sayyid Ahmad Shahid and put into his lap. And the request was made, and he accepted the request, the bayat of tabarruk. That child of three years, what does he understand? He's not making bayat, bayat of barkat. So he accepted that bayat of barkat. And many personalities of the view of the feeling that it was this barkat that started off at that moment already. It was even before that as well for us. But these things are sometimes just things we see as something happened in passing. One thing just by the way. But there is nothing by the way. These discussions are all for the sake of us taking lessons. And therefore we might digress from time to time. Because it's not a matter of discussing some lesson in history for a history, some historical record. But it is to take some lessons from our, for our lives, for our betterment, for our progress. So just on this note about Sayyid Ahmad Shahid Rahmatullah passing through their town and they took this opportunity to bring Hadi Imzadullah Muhajir Makki Rahmatullah a three-year-old child, brought him into his company and had that birth of Tabarruk done. I witnessed once many many years back Hazrat Mufti Mahmud Hassan Gangoi Rahmatullah Faqihul Ummah he had been in Durban and Hazrat Mahabdul Haq Umwaji Sahib Rahmatullah he had given a dawah to him so many people were all present and so the dawah was now done so Hazrat Mufti Sahib was sitting and Hazrat Mahabdul Haq Sahib Rahmatullah he had gathered perhaps I don't think anybody was left Every child of the family, from the young, oldest to the youngest, all his grandchildren and perhaps great-grandchildren, if Allah alam, to the extent of every baby that was in the house. Every one was brought one at a time to Hazrat. Those who were older, they made to make musafa, all were made to line up. And then even that little baby, one at a time, those babies were brought along. Now to some it seemed like, you know, taking so much of effort to now bring every baby along. What is this all about? But these people knew better. <laughs> They knew better and they took that benefit. They understood what they are taking from it. Now the same thing we, hear, we see here in this incident, that a three-year-old child, this bayat of tabarruk was done. He was looking. He is saying, that was perhaps later in time, but he says his mujahada used to be this, among other things, many things, at night, after the isha is over, etc. So his face was just adjacent to the masjid. His room was adjacent to the masjid. So he would go and lie down. So everybody can see now he's gone to lie down. He's gone to rest. And then, short while later, maybe half an hour later or so, by that time everybody has now gone, nobody's around. He would come and close the doors of the masjid. And then from that time till Fajr, he would be engaging in zikr of Allah Tabarakot and Ibadat. And that Khadim of his who relates this, he says, I never ever woke up in the morning your time, and did not find him already in Ibadat. And he was already in Ibadat. It appeared that he was sleeping, but when everybody appeared to have gone to sleep, he was already up. And this would continue, he says, never a day got missed. This was his mujahada. Now this is just one example out of numerous examples of the kind of mujahada he made just in getting closer to Allah Taala. Now, we, these are all points of reflection for us. Our mamulat, how much of mamulat do we have? Once one person came to Hazrat of the Muhammad Sahib Rahmatullahi and he said, well, mamulat should go. He said, my mamulat have all been left out. So I asked him that, why are you calling it mamulat? You should be saying matrukat. Mere kuch matrukat hai. Matruk means something left out. Mamul means something that is in practice. 
When I say my mamulat, things I'm practicing on. Now you're saying my mamulat have been left out. If it's left out, it can't be mamul anymore. It's matruk. So, our mamulat, if we sit down and do everything in one sitting too, it might not require more than 15 minutes. But, we are too busy sometimes. Sometimes, everything else comes in the way. Something or the other would be more important. We'll just never find out of that 24 hours. If you count the minutes involved in there out of that thousand and one thousand four hundred and some minutes, that fifteen minutes becomes like an impossibility for us to take out. And here this is a lesson for us. Not one day would get missed. Shortly after Isha, people have left and the ibadat would commence and continue to fajr. So this was a kind of mujahada he made. Some years passed and the man Nasiruddin Rahmatullah was a very great personality of his time, he was a sheikh now of Hazrat Sahib Rahmatullah, he passed away. After he passed away, Hazrat Sahib Rahmatullah was extremely restless. Now he needed to fill this void. And he is going from some place to the other, but for some reason it's not that uh, compatibility is not being found. This is something which is sometimes very ikhtiyari, it's not something in a person's control. He'll be compatible somewhere, he might not be compatible somewhere else. That doesn't mean that anybody else is deficient. It's his lack of compatibility. So in any case, he was going from place to place. Then he sees a dream. In the dream, he sees Rasulullah sallallahu and Nabi sallallahu took his hand and put it in the hand of some very pious person. Now he understood from this that this is an indication that who I should now link myself to. But now who is this person? He saw the person in the dream. Very, very vividly he can remember it. But now he has no idea who it is. Now he's going to different places, but he can't seem to find the person he's looking for. There was a very great alim at that time who was his ustad also. Muhammad Qalandar Shah, Muhaddis Jalalabadi, Rahmatullah He was observing this. One day he told him, just, Zara Nanut, Zara Lohari bi you're going here, there, everywhere. Why don't you go to Lohari? Now, Lohari is a little village in India. And in this village was a personality who was a very simple person. He was teaching, as we understand, our maktabs. Somebody who's teaching Alif Bata, little children. So he was a Miyaji in those days, used to be a person who used to be teaching the children elementary things. So he was known as a Miyaji, Miyaji Nur Muhammad Sahib Rahmatullahi. So why don't you go in there? Just go see. He came there, when he came outside he already saw the shoes and he recognized the shoes that he saw in the dream. And when he walked in, that same vivid remembrance of the personality that he saw in the dream, he sees in front of him. And he was overcome with a feeling and he fell at his feet. Now there was no discussion, no conversation yet, just the seeing one another and he fell at the feet of the person. Miyadi Nur Muhammad picked him up, like, sort of helped him to come up, and he said to him, as he's picking him up, that you have so much of confidence on your dreams. He says, now this was the first karama that I saw of his. He says, you got so much confidence on your dreams. Nevertheless, this is where he then linked up to Miyaji Nur Muhammad Sahib and this became the start of this very great uh, journey for him. This is again a point of reflection. And these are the things that we need to stop and think about. That we just spoke earlier at the beginning about the personality of the Hadith of and what benefit emanated from him. That all the works of deen that are alive, especially in the Indo-Pak subcontinent, here in South Africa, as we trace it back, previously there was a talk on Hussain in the introduction of that, this was discussed in some detail. So all the works of deen were tracing up traces up to the Hadi Sahib. The Hadi Sahib traces up to Miyaji Nur Muhammad Sahib. Who is he? Outwardly a very ordinary person. Teaching children elementary dini knowledge. Teaching them maktab, alif bata. But Allah Ta'ala chose him to be the spiritual inspiration and to be the guide of that personality who is going to become Shaykhul Arab al-Ajam. And who is going to become the Shaykhul Mashayikh. Now, this is the selection of Allah Ta'ala, but in this world there is a system. If somebody has something in his heart, he's, he's produced something, he's made something of himself. 
So among the giants of the time that were present, Allah Ta'ala chose this Miyaji, this person who is a simple ordinary person in the eyes of people, who is teaching this Alif Bata, who doesn't have any great position in the sight of people. But Allah Ta'ala gave him that opportunity to become the guide of this Shaykhul Mashayikh of the time. Now whatever work of deen is taking place that is facing back to this, this lineage, this spiritual lineage, he is taking the reward of all of it. So, to get that good to pass on, there's something required to be built within, something to be developed inside. So, any case to take it further, so the Hajjah Rahmatullah now he is in the company of Yadi Nur Muhammad Rahmatullah he was then put through one test. In a short while, very short time, he was granted Khilafat. Then he was put through one test. In those days, this was a very common thing. People would be put through their faces and put through some tests also. And those tests will come out of the blue without any warning. And that would indicate what is, how much water is a person in. So in any case, one day out of the blue, Miyaji Rahmatullah says to him that Tashkheer chahe ya kimya. Now, there's a lot of detail in this, but the second part, kimya is something we'll just understand and we'll know what we're talking about. Kimya means alchemy. Alchemy is a science. Some say it doesn't exist. Some say it's a karamad. But in principle there's a science, alchemy. And the science is how metal can be turned into gold. Now some say those who did it, it was more karamad. It wasn't so much of a science. Others say there was a procedure, it got lost in time. Some people had it like a secret formula. They passed it on to who they wanted to only. But they could use this formula to turn metal into gold. It used to happen. And people had it. It was a reality. It wasn't just some imagination. Now, Mihadi Sahib is a person of very high caliber. So it was highly likely that he had this karamat also. Out of the blue, he asked the Hadi Sahib you want this alchemy? So Hadi now this is some, when something, a person has a chance to now think over it, ponder over it, think about what answer to give. Person has the time to now prepare his speech of humility. And I am nobody and I am somebody that's not worth anything and so on and so forth. So that speech of humility, even the proudest person can prepare. But when something happens on the spot, out of the blue, and that spontaneous reaction, that can only come out from what is inside. There's no time to pretend. There's no time to now just put up a appearance. So now when Yadi Sahib suddenly out of the blue asked him, you want this kimya, you want this alchemy? He just broke down crying. And his response was that the only thing I want was mahaz mahboob haqiqi khayish my only desire is to be linked to Allah Ta'ala. I don't want anything of dunya. Now this was a spontaneous response. This only could come from what was truly inside. That he only wanted this. Now outwardly, it might seem an, the ability to turn metal into gold. So now, our minds would run that well, how much of work of deen can take place with this? It puts through so many Madrasas will establish with it and whatever work of deed will do and all the poor people, there won't be any poor people around anymore, we'll, we'll do the charity for them. And now such noble things, mashallah. And that noble nobility would, subhanallah, carry us in that moment. We say what alchemy, alchemy times two. But there was something else in these people's hearts. That this deen is Allah Ta'ala's deen. Wallahu mutimmu nurihi walau karihal kafirun. This deen is not dependent on finances. This deen is not dependent on material resources. This deen is dependent on linking ourselves to Allah Ta'ala. The effort of deen is dependent, the progress in the effort of deen is dependent on linking ourselves with Allah Ta'ala. And sincerely submitting ourselves to Him, making an effort in our capacity in accordance to what Allah Ta'ala is pleased with. Then dunya is dunya, dunya is darul asbab, but then Allah Ta'ala will open out the asbab. It will happen with asbab. On a general note, it won't happen through unseen things. It will happen 
how things happen. On a general note, it will happen like that. The odd occasion, something might happen differently. That is the exception. But it will happen on a general note, like, like things happen. But Allah Ta'ala will make it happen. Allah Ta'ala will provide those asbab. Allah Ta'ala will provide those means. That means will come from sources a person couldn't imagine. So the primary thing is to link to Allah Taala and to acquire His muhabbat to fill the heart with taqwa. This is what will then open the doors forward. Nevertheless, there are many things in between. But just to take it further, much later in time, in 1857, when the uprising took place against the British rule, so now that was a very major incident at that time. It was a very difficult time for the Muslims of India. The English had now overrun the country and they were making every effort to try and change the whole country into, make everybody into Christian. Bible classes had become compulsory in every school and a new whole list of things that they were up to. And everything was being done to try and wipe out Islam. At that time, the ulama of the time regarded it as now necessary to remove the British from India to protect India, to protect the Indian uh, citizens in entirety, everybody, and in particular to protect the Muslims from the zulm and the oppression of the, Indi- of the English. So in any case, at that time, this uprising took place, and as Hadi was at the forefront of it, he was the Amirul Mu'mineen of that uprising. Nevertheless, this is a very lengthy discussion in itself, but then eventually he had to migrate to Makkah Mukarrama. The British were trying to now get hold of him, and any alim that they got hold of at that time, he was assassinated. In the thousands, ulama kiram were assassinated. Over 100,000 were assassinated over time. So he had to make hijrat. That hijrat was not just like how a person decides today that I'm going and he's gone. From India to Makkah Mukarrama, it took him approximately Two, just over two years from time to time moving from one space to the next and then to the third place and sometimes in very risky situations and in this some of his karamat became zahir this karamat and these supernatural things Allah Ta'ala makes it happen for some people it's Allah Ta'ala's it's in his control as far as his karamat are concerned this is an important point to just pause on and understand this. Something supernatural, sometimes even a person without taqwa can perform. This itself is no dalil, no proof of a person's piety, of a person's accepted, accepted position in the court of Allah Ta'ala, is not a necessary proof of anything. A person without taqwa, let alone without taqwa, a person without iman also. If he goes through certain, well, it's long, difficult things to do, but certain exercises of certain sorts, he can acquire these kind of things too. So this is very important to bear in mind. Sometimes people get very, very fascinated. Somebody did something which is out of the ordinary. But this person now, he is on another level. Now he is on another level. People just start now flocking. Whereas that person doesn't have any sunnah in his life, doesn't have any, sometimes he's not even making his salah. Asking where he made his salah, he made his salah in Haram Sharif. Only eating time is eating here. So, all these kind of dramas are carrying on. And, but because he apparently did something supernatural, so something out of the ordinary, this became now a proof that this person is on another level. Whereas there is no such thing in reality. In reality, the person is on another level if he has ittibai shariat, ittibai sunnat. He is following the commands of Allah wa ta'ala. And he's very closely following the sunnah of Rasulullah That person is on another level. Besides that, nothing takes a person on any other level. So in any case, while he was on this journey, once the, the English person who was in charge there in that area, somebody reported to him that Hadisab is in a certain person's farm and he is housed in that stable of his. He came away himself. Like the of that area or whatever. He came away himself. The person who was housing him was also on some position. So he came, met him, he knew him. He says, no, I heard you got very good, very nice horses. I came to see your horses. Meanwhile, on that excuse, he wanted him to open up the stables. So he finally 
they had no choice, they had to do it. And everybody is now uh, just waiting to know now what's going to be the next thing that's going to happen here. It's going to be a very difficult moment. They open the stable door. Open the stable door, there's a, some bedding there. There's a musalla laid out there. There's a lota jug for wuzu there. That water is still on the ground wet. That wuzu was made here just now. But there's nobody there. And then nobody had left from there. The place is locked from the outside. It was kept locked from the outside. So that it's clear that now nobody is inside. But somebody was inside. But nobody is there. This person looked and looked. But now he didn't want to make it obvious why he came. He came for a purpose to come and find his... The person he's looking for. Nobody is there. Any case now he finally said, okay, nice, mashallah, very nice horses. And had the stable closed and he went away. When he went away, they opened the stable door again, Hajj on his musallah. So, Allah Ta'ala made this happen. On one occasion, on one occasion, there were a lot of mehman. This was in Makkah, Mukarramah or someplace. There were a lot of mehman, a lot of guests that came. And the food ran short. As the food was running short, somebody came and told him this is what happened. So he took out his shawl, his scarf, and he said, cover the food with this. Just cover the pot with it. And keep dishing out. They carried on dishing out. Everybody ate. And when everybody was gone, there was still sufficient left over. When they reported it to him, he said, Astaghfirullah, Toba Toba. I'm really ashamed of having done this. And I'll never do it again. He regarded it as something to be ashamed of to make that karamat zahir. Allah Ta'ala blessed him with that, that, with that dua that he made at that time. But he regarded this as his mistake. That I did this, this was wrong, I shouldn't have done it. And he's now making a, making toba on it. He's saying, I will never do this again. So now this is that lesson actually. These personalities weren't unable to show these kind of karamats with the fadl of Allah Ta'ala. But they never regarded it as anything of any kind of achievement. Or that this is any yardstick of judging a person's uh, piety or judging his position and status, nothing of that, that nature. That position in deen is on the basis of shariat, on the basis of sunnah of Rasulullah Any case of Hadith Rahmatullah in this manner now made hijrat and came all the way to Makkah Mukarramah. When he came to Makkah Mukarramah, now he made hijrat and came. And after this long journey of almost two years, more than two years, Initially, there was a very, very testing time in Makkah Mukarramah. And many times he would be without food for days on end. On one occasion, he says, up to nine days. The only thing he could survive on was Zamzam water. He tried to ask for some loan, for somebody to lend him some money from people who were well known to him. It just so happened that the people who were well known to him, and he was asking for just small amounts. For some reason they also just declined. Nobody gave him one cent as a loan. After, this, after two, three days of complete starvation, only surviving on Zamzam. When he asked for this loan and that too got declined, he then thought to himself that this is a test from Allah Ta'ala. I'm not going to ask anybody for a loan also. Let alone beg. Begging is out of the question. Asking somebody to give it to me, that's out of the question. I'm not even going to ask for a loan. And he didn't ask for that loan. And nine days passed like this. On that tawakkul. And he became so weak, it became difficult to even walk. And after nine days had passed like this, Allah Ta'ala opened it out for him. Then, somebody came and suddenly out of the blue gave him some hadiya. And ever since, at the end of every month, somehow or the other, somebody would come and give him hundred riyals. A hundred riyals at that time was a lot. It was something that a person could survive for on and off for the whole month. But out of the blue it would happen. There was no, nothing that was being sort of worked on or some kind of indication. Somewhere from somehow somebody would come with something and there be hundred riyals. Now this was the arrangement Allah Ta'ala made. Allah Ta'ala made it happen. But this tawakkul came with the test. But now he was steadfast in the test. Test came. Nine days without anything. But after that, there was never a day of poverty. And rather he was taking care of others. So this became the moment when he, after he made hijrat and remained there after in Makkah Mukarramah. 
the thing about the Akabir, the Ahlullah, the pious personalities, what really we learn from them and where we take the lessons from are from their sifat, from their qualities. They were who they were. They did what they did. They are gone. But the legacy that they left behind, that's a living legacy. And that is what we have to take from. That is what we have to learn from. So, these are the things that we need to look into. What were their sifat? What were their qualities? How they conducted themselves? And this is what we have to try and bring into our lives. As far as the Hajjah is concerned, just on a random note, some of the sifat that he had, some of the incidents in his life that would give us some lessons, nothing in no sequence, just without any sequence in random, some lessons out of his, the incidents in his life. One of the very great things, and this is something that always keeps coming up in the lives of all the Akabir, that one of the very great things in his life was Adab. Adab in his life had become a state of a hal, as we call it. Now one is on the level of what the general person is required to always have. That, that cannot be compromised. Then it keeps going higher. That's not something that everybody is expected to now be on. And neither should everybody be measured on that level. Otherwise we'll start passing fatwas of ours on everybody. But this adab of his had come to another level which we can term as a hal. It was something now that had enveloped him completely. One person sent a hadiyah to him, a pair of shoes. Duty is of India. So he sent this pair of shoes to him. So his khadim khas was some Mawlana Abdul Rahim. So he gave him this. He said, you wear this. So that person replied and said, Hazrat, so and so sent it to you. So you wear it first. After some time, after you want it, then if you give it, I will also be more happy to you. Receive it then. So now this person was his khadim khas, very informal with him, very close to him. So he had a kind of tatya kalam, some, he would talk in an affectionate manner, though literally translated, this is a different word, but it was more like a kind of affectionate address to him. Are baule. Now baule is, in one context is something negative, somebody who's got a different alam is living. But in any case, he was like more on an affectionate note he's addressing. Are baule tujhe malum nahi. You have no idea what's going on here. It's from the time my gaze fell for the first time on the Kaaba Sharif. And I saw that the ghilaf of the Kaaba Sharif is black. I can, I don't have any courage to ever wear black shoes. These shoes are black in color. I don't have the himmat. But now at the same time, this was his adab. But this is not a fatwa. He gave it to his khadim. He said, you wear it. He didn't say it's impermissible to wear it. But he couldn't do it. He says, the first time that my gaze fell on the gummat khazra on the green dome of the Rosa Mubarak of Rasulullah sallallahu At that time in India, the shoes used to be worn various colors. They used to be common. One common kind of shoe people used to wear was a green color. Ever since I could never have the courage to put my feet into a color, into a shoe that is of green color. Or a shoe that is of black color because of the ghilaf of the Kaaba Sharif. This was his adab on that level. But his adab took him on another level too. That's not for us to try and now force ourselves onto that level. He, the Khadim Echaz says, I never saw him sleeping with his legs stretched out. So I used to observe this and observe it. And I used to think, well, maybe something. Then I realized that no, this is not any, he's trying to make himself uh, maybe comfortable in that way. He's doing this deliberately for some other reason, it appears. You see, one day I said to him that, that you always keep your legs pull back, you are sort of crouching almost when you are sleeping, how are you going to get any kind of rest in that manner? What kind of comfort can there be in sleeping with your legs drawn up? You don't ever stretch your legs out and sleep. That does a person stretch his legs in front of his master? This was that istihzar, that consciousness of Allah Ta'ala at that level. That how can I do this? Now this again is not a fatwa. It's not that now we go and try and uh, force this down on somebody or we haven't even started making 
اتباو سنت پروپلی تو انہوں نے صاحب نکی اتباو حال او حال will go in the opposite direction but the lesson in this that this was on another level which is way beyond us but there are many things in our level which we are not even making any attempt to try and adopt that level of adab just the adab of the Quran Sharif let us look at how the Quran Sharif is respected how we ourselves handle it our children at home how is it kept, where is it kept the adab of the azan the adab of the month of Ramadan Ramadan comes, how life carries on without any concern the adab of the day of Jumu'ah the adab of all the things related to deen that is way within our capacity that is well within our capacity and it's something that we should be doing but now we sometimes get excited about these things we want to do something which is way beyond our reach but the things we should be doing that we overlook so we should be now making an effort these people whatever height they reach was due to a combination of many things but the one factor that was always there it never happened without this factor and that was the factor of adab nobody reached any position minus adab so this was the type of person he was and his caliber he was somebody who was very very tolerant had a very uh, accommodating nature very easy going very soft natured extremely tolerant once one person said to Hazrat Thanvi Rahmatullah was linked to him he was very very tolerant a lot of tahammul and you are very firm how come? Thami Rahmatullah's reply also Subhanallah these people this was the Kamal they said what had to be said without compromising the adab in any way and keeping everything in perspective he said look both in both cases the maqsood and the objective is Islam the objective day is also Islam the objective here is also Islam the difference is now he is saying it from his maqam of tawazu also See, the difference is that Hadisab was a person of Barkat. So his Islah that he was making was happening with Barkat. He didn't, he didn't have to be too firm. The Barkat that he passed on made the Islah. And I have to make, I, now he's saying it from his Tawazu, saying I don't have that Barkat, so I have to make Harkat. So I have to get things moving. So now sometimes I have to now shake somebody up. So now because of that Harkat, his Islah gets made, and there it was Barkat. But now this was a very, very wonderful way of expressing something. But on this note was the aspect of that tahammul. But at the same time, that barakat that Allah Ta'ala had placed in his teachings, in his... One person came to become bayat to him. This person was a person who had a very carefree life. All kinds of vices and whatever else. So he came, one day suddenly it came in his heart, he wants to become bayat. So he came to become bayat. Now when he comes and he puts forward his request for bayat, at the same time, he is putting forward his conditions too. He says, I want to become bayad, but look, I can't do any amal. So if that condition is accepted, then I'll become bayad. Together with that, he says, I'm not going to make namaz also. And I am accustomed to watching this dancing. I'm not going to stop that also. So I said, I'm going to say bayad for Now, many a times, we might hear something like this, we might read something like this, and with that skeptical mindset that we have about everything, before we read the rest also, we might already start passing on fatwa. And we we'll start jumping to conclusions. One person was sitting on the steps of the Jama Masjid of Delhi. And now he's sitting there and he's like talking to himself. But now he's saying something, and what he's saying is, that, Na tu mera khuda, now he's saying, neither are you my Allah, and nor am I your servant. So why should I listen to you? Why should I obey you? Now he's talking this aloud little to himself, audibly. Now people are passing there, they're coming out from the masjid now to salah, and they're hearing this person, one person hears it, says, inna lillah, astaghfirullah. Another person, this person is a kafir, this person is a completely renegade, this person has lost his iman. What, how can he talk like this? One person finally, as he passed along, he heard it too. So he stopped and asked him, what do you mean? 
Now when this person stopped to ask him, what do you mean? He said, ek akal man nikla. One person, some intelligent person has stopped by. He said, I'm addressing my nafs. My nafs is prompting me towards haram. And I'm sitting and addressing my nafs. Na tu mera khuda, na me tera banda. Me teri kyu manu. I'm telling my nafs, you are not my rabb. I'm not your servant. Why should I obey your promptings? I'm the servant of Allah Ta'ala. I'll obey Allah Ta'ala. So now somebody just stops at that point. He hears something and finishes. What is this? Is this deen? Somebody sees him, make namaz also, he says, fine, take him on. And this person uh, is not even practicing on deen properly and he's been given some kind of consideration. One person used to come to Hazrat Mahabharal Haqsab Rahmatullah Majlis uh, repeatedly and he used to come sometimes to visit him also. Another just to accommodate him and give him time and be very pleasant with him also. And the person was coming for years and he was clean shaven. Now those who were familiar and who are familiar with the personality of Hazrat Muhammad and how firm he was on sunnah and the slightest deviation from the sunnah was something very difficult for him to bear. He would see something somebody did against sunnah. It was very difficult for him to tolerate that. And here he's accommodating this person. He's coming time in, time out. Now, the kind of minds we have, already you would have passed so many fatwas. That now this is all double standards. First line, double standards. Now, talking so much about sunnah here, and you're just bypassing this person. Maybe this person, maybe, maybe must have come with some check, I think. <laughs> something must have happened maybe he sent him over last time one fatwa after the other something or the other will come around any case time carried on then this person hadn't come for a while one day he came back that time when he came back he came with a full beard and Hazrat saw him and he met him met him very happily and he told him Zalim I am praying for you in all that time, he wasn't ghafil of him. But this person he saw, that now you're going to tell him something, he's not yet ready for it. He's going to go away forever. One person came to the company, he was to come to the company, he was like, the revival of the work of Dawat and Tabligh, and a similar situation, he was coming repeatedly, and then he became very attached to the Mawlana also, and Mawlana became very informal with him too. So now because this built up, this taluk built up over time to this level of almost informality, one day Hazrat passed his hand over his face. He said, Abhi tak tumhari dari nahi aai. Still you haven't kept your beard. It was now already they were on a very friendly level. And as soon as he did that, the next day the person stopped coming. The third day he didn't come. A few days went past, he didn't come. So the asked others who were around, who knew this person who was coming, where does this person live? A certain place. He went all the way there. When they visited him, met him, he told him, you keep coming, I won't tell you anything in future. You come, keep coming. Then he came back, and then he gathered those who were around, and he said, Mujse, bari ghalti ho I made a very big mistake. And then he explained it by means of an example. He said, Mene roti ku kacche tawe par dal di. Now, the roti when it is made, so it has to be put onto that griddle, the tawa. Now that griddle, if it is not very hot, then putting the roti on it is going to spoil it. But wait for it to first get really hot. Then you put it on, it will get cooked in a very short time. He said that the griddle was still cold. I thought it was hot already. I put the roti, it was spoiled. The person went away. Now that's a very deep lesson. So likewise here, we sometimes jump to conclusions. Any case, Hari Sahib accepted this person for bayat. Now he made the condition, I'm not going to make salah also. Now he became bayat. After he became bayat, the first salah time came. The first salah time came. Suddenly out of the blue, this person is just feeling an itch on his hands and then body is itching. Now he took some oil, rubbed that oil, nothing is happening. Still that itch is there, getting worse. Now, everything else is trying, nothing is helping. Eventually, he decided to just wash his hand now. It's like beginning to sort of burn. As he's washing his hand, he washed his hand, washed his face. Feet were itching, washed. So he said, well, only the masa is left now. Already made wuzu almost. So he completed his wuzu. 
Uh, he thought, no, I completed my wuzu. So now the wuzu is already made, it's salah time, let us make, make my namaz also. So he made that salah. He made that salah, and as he finished the salah, he suddenly realized that the itch is gone. After a while, everything was fine. Now the next salah time came, suddenly itch started again. <laughs> again he tried something, and then again it came to him, let me wash myself. He started, again started making wuzu. He thought, I made a wuzu, I make my salah also. Then he realized that this is happening every time, only at salah time. Every time, only at salah time, so he decided, look, I'm going to rather make my salah, because it is going to come. And in that manner, his salah came into his life. When the salah came into his life, he thought, now I'm already making salah daily. What face am I going and standing with in front of Allah Ta'ala, when at the same time I'm also watching all this haram? He made toba from that too. Now, outwardly it seemed like, what kind of bayat is this? Bayat with the condition, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do that, and I'm not going to do all this wrong. It wasn't any condition that was being accepted. This was just a procedure that was being adopted for that person. But our skeptical minds will go on a different tangent. We will start making all kinds of comments. And, but now these are lessons to learn. Amar bil ma'roof, nahyan il munkar, doesn't always happen with the stick. It doesn't always happen by uh, commanding and demanding something. It happens in various ways. It happens sometimes in the most affectionate manner. It happens sometimes with great muhabbat and love. It happens with a lot of hikmat. Everybody, say every cart is not the same horse. Not, every cart doesn't have the same horse. Different horses for different carts. So in any case, this was the kind of barkat that he had. Allah Ta'ala had blessed him with. What that barkat was his humility, his tawazu. One person, one doctor he was. This person had some issue. For some reason he was always trying to make life difficult for him. One day he came and he's sitting with him and then suddenly starts talking about this, that and the other. And then he says, look, I, in my mind, you have no kamalat. You are without any kind of real achievement and perfection. And despite having no kamalat, how come you became so famous then? Your fame is actually due to like Maha Qasim Nanotwi and Maha Rashid Ahmad Gangoi and so on. That these giants of ilm, they became your murids, that's why you became so famous. Otherwise, you in your own right, you have nothing. The only thing that now is nevertheless very amazing and very astonishing, something really perplexing, is that why they became your murids. How they came and took bayat to you. That's what I'm astonished about. I can't make head and tail of this. Uh, he's talking all these stories directly to Hazali Sahib. I thought very calmly listening to all this, and he smiles and says, I'm also wondering why these people came to me. <laughs> you wondering, I'm wondering more than you. Now this also was that, what was inside the heart. He never regarded himself as anything. He didn't think of himself that I'm worthy of something. That these people came to me, so I must be something. He truly felt about himself, that I'm not anything. And it is these people that are something. Once one person came to him and said to him, is there some wazifa, some, something that I can decide? I have this very great yearning to be blessed with ziyarat of Rasulullah in the dream. You have great courage. I don't even regard myself as being worthy of being blessed. Allah Ta'ala blesses it, Alhamdulillah, His, His uh, grace it is. But to have this courage to ask even for the blessing of seeing the green dome. Allah Ta'ala's karam, Allah Ta'ala makes it happen that we see it. But I don't have that courage also. You are so courageous, you want to see Rasulullah himself. Now this is a great na'mad. It's a great blessing, but at the same time there were these great personalities who felt afraid to ask for it. They perhaps all had that blessing already. But this was on another level of adab again. But now this was when the person himself regards himself, I am nobody, I am nothing. And not just for the sake of lip service, for the sake of just impressing somebody else, that somebody else must get impressed how humble I am. Oh, this was a condition of their hearts. This is what they truly felt about themselves. Then just one or two other aspects. On one occasion, he was in Makkah Mukarrama, and one alim came from India. Hazrat Ma'ar Rafi'uddin Sahib He was the person who was 
eventually at that later on appointed as the second principal of Darlum Dioban. At that time he was one of the people who was involved in the establishment of Darlum Dioban. So when he came, he came to Makkah Mukarramah. So the Hadith had already made Hijrat and come away a while before that. So he then mentioned to him that Alhamdulillah we have now established a madrasa in India in Dioban. So make dua, Allah Ta'ala accept it, Allah Ta'ala make it progress. So Harisab replied to him because he was associated to him. So he said to him, you're saying we established a madrasa in India. Do you know how many times the forehead has cried in sajda? The forehead has been in sajda and how many tears were shed in sajda for this madrasa to come in place. Meaning I was sitting here in Makkah Mukarramah and crying for this madrasa to be established. What Hadisah Rahmatullah was crying for is, Ya Allah, bring about something in the in subcontinent that will become a means of safeguarding deen. Because the British has destroyed all the structures of deen. And Allah Ta'ala accepted that dua in this form. He says, you are saying that, Hamne madrasa qaim kiya, Malum hai kitni ahe sahar gahi se ya madrasa qaim hua hai. How many tears of the tahajjud time has brought about this? So what, this was actually a lesson he was giving. The lesson was that don't take it for granted that this will just happen. You have to turn to Allah Tabarak wa Ta'ala. Beg Allah Tabarak wa Ta'ala and that is the same aspect of asking and begging and taking from Allah Ta'ala together with that making the effort. One person was a very wealthy person in Bombay. He came to Hajjah and said, I want to go for Hajj, make dua. Make dua that I go for Hajj. He said, okay, I'm going to make dua but on one condition. What's the condition? The condition is that the day that that ship departs from Bombay for Jiddah, on that day, you hand yourself over to me. You make yourself completely over to me that whatever I wish and what I want you to do or how I want, whatever it is, you will just go along with it. You won't resist or won't uh, try to do anything else. You see, but then what's going to be achieved out of that? He says, on that day, the day that that ship is departing, then I will come, I will grab you by your hand, and I'll put you onto the ship, so that you'll reach the family and go for Hajj. Now, what he meant by this was, that mashallah, you're saying make dua, but are you going to make the effort as well? Or are you going to just carry on in your business? And say make dua, someday that dua must take me. The dua will take you, but with that dua, you must make dawa also. The dua also, and the effort will with it. Both hand in hand. Now, the lesson for us, we sometimes want our Islam to happen with dua only. But to make the effort, to make the mujahada, to give up that haram, to make the mujahada, to stop all that evil on the internet, to make that mujahada, to stay away from those devices, to make the mujahada, to make that mamulat and complete it in time, to make the mujahada, to be in the right company all the time, whatever other things are to be done, what's to be refrained from. But dua, so inshallah dua will be made, and we should make dua, we should ask others to make dua also. But, when it's time that we are feeling hungry, we don't tell somebody to make dua, and I'm going to keep making dua also. And I'm not going to make any effort. We first make the effort, we'll go and have the full meal, then we'll tell somebody to make dua and get digested. So, they we don't think about first making dua. Whereas they too should first make dua. But at that time, we know exactly what to do. So likewise, for our spiritual nourishment, that spiritual nourishment also requires the effort also, and it requires the dua as well. The dua and the dawa both go hand in hand. In this way, inshallah, we will, with the fuzzle of Allah Ta'ala, achieve what we are setting out to do. There are many other things, the time has already passed. Allah Ta'ala give us the tawfiq, that we take these lessons in our life, we follow in the footsteps of these great personalities, and inshallah, with the fuzzle of Allah Ta'ala, we too will be able to achieve some ayat of this. With the fuzzle of Allah Ta'ala, Allah Ta'ala will open the way. This is not anything that we can do by our action, by our achievement, by our efforts, but that broken effort that we will make, and we will sincerely try to do what we can, what's in our capacity, without shirking. Allah Ta'ala will make the rest happen. Allah Ta'ala will put barakat in that effort, and Allah Ta'ala will grant us that Islam and Tasqiyah, will bless us with His muhabbat, and will make us steadfast on deen, to the point that inshallah, the time comes, that regardless of where a person might be on that journey, in terms of his progress in deen, in his progress in the love of Allah, wa ta'ala, 
in his progress in getting closer to Allah Ta'ala. But he didn't stop the journey. He's on the road and he's continuing with the journey. Then that time comes suddenly that he has to leave dunya. In that last moment of time, Allah Ta'ala will take him to the destination. And he will be raised as among the Kamilin. But his effort must be constant. He must continue on the journey. He mustn't take some detour and go on some other route. He stays constant. Allah Ta'ala will open the way for him. Allah Ta'ala give us the tawfiq. Wa akhiru da'wana alhamdulillah.